This podcast is sponsored by GCOR 15, RMA's Governance, Compliance, and Operational Risk Virtual Conference, June 7th to 10th. The conference will provide valuable content and peer sharing in today's complex environment with a stacked lineup of industry experts covering topics including culture, PPP litigation, climate risk, DEI, AI and machine learning, re-entry in the wake of the pandemic, and much more. For more information and to register, visit www.rmahq.org backslash G-C-O-R. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our podcast. The subject we'll be addressing is wire transfer errors. My name is Michael Weissman, and I am based in Chicago. I am the author of a column that regularly appears in the RMA journal called The Legal Corner. And I'm also a member of the magazine's editorial board. I serve as an RMA instructor for the course titled Commercial Loan Documentation and have authored a book titled Commercial and Industrial Loan Documentation published in 2014 and republished in 2018. Earlier in my career, I served as executive vice president and general counsel of a banking group here in Chicago. Now let's turn to the subject at hand. Let's begin with a simple example that captures the essence of what we will address throughout this podcast. Assume we have three parties, John, Robert, and Mary. John has previously borrowed $5,000 from Mary and $5,000 from Robert. His debt to Mary is presently due, but his debt to Robert isn't due for another two weeks. He has decided he wants to repay Mary. He gives his banker a payment order instruction indicating that $5,000 should be wire transferred to Mary's bank and provides Mary's account number at her bank. Robert uses the same bank as Mary and has an account number only one digit different than Mary's. The wire transfer is initiated but the account number shown for the recipient is Robert's, not Mary's. The $5,000 ends up in Robert's account. The question is whether Robert can be compelled to return the money he has received or may refuse to do so. Please keep this example in mind as we progress. There are two competing theories about Robert's obligation to return the money. One says that since John owed Robert $5,000 and Robert did nothing to induce John to pay before the due date, Robert can keep the money. The other theory says Robert can keep the money only if upon receiving it, Robert did something that would make it unfair to compel him to return it, such as using the $5,000 as a deposit on the purchase of a car 
on which he still owes a balance of the $30,000 purchase price. Robert can keep the money based upon what is known as the discharge for value rule. In a recent court case that dealt with the discharge for value rule, the court considered three issues. Number one, does this discharge for value rule only apply if the discharge debt was presently due? Remember that John's liability to Robert wasn't then due. Number two, does the error have to come to the attention of the recipient when the payment is received or when the payment is posted on the accounting records of the recipient? Most likely it came to Robert's attention when he unexpectedly received it. And three, third issue, must notice of the error have been noticed to the final recipient or would notice to the recipient's agent be sufficient? Of course, Robert didn't have an agent, but in large commercial loan syndicates, there always are agents. Now, on the first point, the court said, quote, the court concludes that the recipient of funds need not show that an outstanding debt was due when it received the funds in order to invoke the discharge for value defense. Instead, it is sufficient for the party invoking the defense to show that at the time the funds were received, it was a bona fide creditor. So the declining syndicate member easily won that argument. The whole subject of um, wire transfers it's addressed in Article 4A of the Uniform Commercial Code. It was deal, excuse me, it was added to the code specifically to deal with transfers of funds. The drafters who wrote Article 4A of the Uniform Commercial Code did so because prior law was inadequate to define the rights and obligations in funds transfers. And they made a deliberate decision to write on a clean slate and to treat funds transfers as a unique method of payment to be governed by unique rules that address the issues raised by this method of payment. But please understand that Article 4A of the UCC answers questions about the liabilities of sending and receiving banks, but largely glosses over the potential liability of the ultimate recipient of a misdirected wire transfer. That is why we are talking about this issue today. Currently, the discharge for value rule is found in a legal treatise that's called the Restatement of the Law of Restitution which just coincidentally also was adopted in 1991. And simply put, it says, if a creditor receives value from a debtor in satisfaction of the debt solely by mistake, the creditor need not return what he or she has received 
so long as the creditor didn't mislead the debtor and was not aware of the mistake. However, it should be remembered that the discharge for value rule is purely defensive. It can't be used as the basis for an independent lawsuit. Another example of the application of the discharge for value rule is in a case out of the state of Indiana in the year 2020. It applied the discharge for value rule where a sending bank erroneously wired transfers to the account of a party indebted to the receiving bank. And the receiving bank was allowed to keep the funds it set off out of the receiving bank's account just as the loan documents permitted. Recent wire transfer cases have adhered to, adhered to the discharge for value rule. And looking at them from a global perspective, I have found cases coming from places such as North Carolina and California that establish that in the wire transfer world, getting the account number correct on the, the wire transfer instructions is the most important point for a sending bank and indeed for the receiving bank as well. The discharge for value rule will not come into effect so long as adherence to accuracy is the clarion rule that banks follow. But in the case of mistakes, it sometimes is very difficult to reverse what has happened in the past. There is a saying that to err is human and to forgive is, is divine. In these wire transfer cases, you will find that there's very little divinity. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I hope that you will have or already have had a really great day. If you have any comments, I'll be, I can be reached at 312-543-6486 or at M. Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N, at lgattorneys.com.